Today's show brought to you by Redcon1.com. That's right. Click the link at the bottom of the podcast app in which you are listening to this on. Check them out. Use promo code T20Quartermiss. That's right. Redcon1.com. There's nothing special about being American. None of you can define for me what an American is. I am the nation. I was born on July 4th, 1776, and the Declaration of Independence is my birth certificate. The bloodlines of the world run in my veins because I offered freedom to the oppressed. I am many things and many people. I am the nation. I am 200 million living souls and the ghost of millions who have lived and died for me. I am Nathan Hale and Paul Revere. I stood at Lexington and fired the shot heard around the world. Washington, Jefferson, Patrick Henry, and John Paul Jones, the Green Mountain Boys, Davy Crockett, and Lee. Coming to you from the D-Town Studios in the free state of Florida, sponsored by Maker's Mark Bourbon, this is Don't Tread on America. Your host, Don Q. How's everybody doing out there today? It is Friday, October 5th, was it, 14th? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Friday. Made it through another week, right, guys? I'm sorry if I messed up the date there. I'm uh, obviously recording this way ahead of schedule, and um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the dates real quick on the fly, because that's what I do. I'm on the fly. So, anyway, I think 14th. Wednesday was the 12th, 13th, 14th. Yeah, sounds right. All right. <laughs> also, um, we're going to continue on with our series here, the, the Bush crime family and, and all their involvement in the history of the destruction of this country. And um, I think it's interesting, real quick before we get back into it, in thinking about this, I remember when George Bush, Daddy Bush, became president. You don't really know anything about this guy. I mean, people that, if you didn't know, you didn't know. You know, you know what's that, the phrase nowadays, like, if you know, you know, right? Well, back back then in, in the 80s, we didn't know what we didn't know. No one really, I mean, I'm sure there were people that knew, obviously. But, uh, but the regular people didn't know shit about shit. Uh, really, we didn't start. People really didn't start to know anything until the the advent of the internet. Thanks, Al Gore. Oh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Before you could actually start doing some research, and and nowadays, in doing research and looking up stuff, and you go to alternative websites because you can't really trust the mainstream websites, uh, whether it be your news media, Twitter. Um, you know, Fox, CNN, MS, you can't trust any of them, really, because they're going to give you their version of the truth. Just like history is written by the winners. You get their version of the win. Like I said on the part one of this, you get the version of the history that they want to teach you. In Europe, after World War II, in East Germany, and that part of Europe and into Russia, 
Guarantee you the history was taught differently. Guarantee you their history books were different than our history books. That's why it's hard to trust the history that we are taught, that our kids are taught, that our parents were taught. And and it's interesting in talking about history, you, you guys probably recall... And it, let's, if you're about my age, if you're late 40s, early 50s, you probably had a great-grandfather that you had conversations with as a kid. And that person may have been involved in World War I. And you probably had conversations with your great-grandfather or maybe even your great-grandmother, and they could regale you of stories of what happened in those days and then what happened what what were you told as a child by your grandfather or your parents or whatever oh don't listen to grandpa johnson over there he's he's crazy he's losing it he's lost his mind but then when you start as you get older and you start to think about those stories that you were told okay you Start to think, okay, well, Grandpa Johnson, I was told he was crazy and he was old, but then you start thinking, well, shit, he wasn't, he was only back then, he was only, you know, 60 years old, he was only 70 years old, he wasn't that old, he really wasn't that out of it. I mean, granted, when you're a child and you're talking to a 60, 70-year-old, you think they're, they went to school with Jesus, you know what I'm saying? But... When you think of it, time is relative. They really probably weren't that out of it. And you start to think. I had an aunt. I told you guys about this before, I think. That she, my family on my grandmother's side, on my grandmother's mother's side, was from Germany. Last name was Kraut. I mean, you can't get much German than that. Okay. Uh, I had an aunt from Germany that um, she ended up kind of losing her mind and later in life, you know, I mean, she was my, she was my, shit, she was my grandmother's aunt or my grandmother's great aunt. So, I mean, she was like my great, great, great aunt. She was at least my great, great aunt. I don't know if she was three greats or just two, but nonetheless, she was old. I mean, granted, like I said, time is relative. Age is relative. When I was a child, I remember her being old. Okay. Um, she ended up having like dementia or Alzheimer's or something along those lines to the point where she reverted back to a child in Germany. So she was, you know, 70, 80 years old, thought she was in Germany as a child, forgot how to speak English. That's the kind of stuff. But then when she would remember how to speak English, she would ask you questions like it was 19, you know, whatever Germany. And, uh, you know, it's just weird like that. <clears throat> so, um, <laughs> so anyway, let's get into the stuff here. So, um, we, well, actually, before we get into the stuff, I need to say this. I'm sorry I had someone come in and kind of mess up. I had to stop there for a second. Anyway, 
Uh, let's not forget about our new sponsor to the show, Christian Lawson Watches. Check them out at christianlawson.com. Use promo code DTOM at the checkout for 30% off your purchase price. Check them out and uh, buy a watch, man. It's almost Christmas time, believe it or not. And don't forget about our promo we're probably going to have come up. If I get some responses, if you guys could respond to me, get on the Facebook, the, t- uh, the, the uh, Instagram at Don't Tread on America, TikTok, um, on um, Twitter at DTOM underscore 1775. Give me some responses, guys. I'm not going to give these watches out to nobody, obviously. I can keep them from myself. I don't need to. I don't really want to. I don't need more watches. So I want to help you guys out so you can tell what time it is. I'm gonna, I'm going to give you the... The ability to tell time. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So on with the show. So we let off the uh, last part talking about Nikolai Tesla. And uh, talked about his assistant, um, George, uh, what was the name? George H. Scherf Sr., right? And then uh, we're going into the Rockefeller Connection. So records show that 17... Well, before I read this real quick, if you recall the end where we ended that show, we talked about how Tesla's response was addressed to George Scherf at Union Sulphur Company at 17 Battery Place in New York, New York, right? So that brings us to the Rockefeller Connection. So records show that 17 Battery Place is a Whitehall building and was owned by Frank Rockefeller, who with his brother William and John D. also owned many companies with offices located there. The International Longshoremen's Association had its world headquarters there, as well as a variety of oil, mining, and chemical companies. Though Union Sulphur Company was run by its president, Hermann Frasch, a German chemist who patented con- um, extractions methods for sulfur and petroleum, Frasch also worked for John D. Rockefeller Standard Oil Company in New York, New Jersey, and Cleveland, developing similar extraction methods. On the basis of his association with George Scherf, uh Sr., had connections with the Rockefeller family, through it, though it's unclear if Tesla was aware of this connection. Frank Rockefeller was also an investor of Buc- Buckeye Steel Casting in Columbus, Ohio. Buckeye manufactured automatic couplers and chassis for railroad cars owned by the Harrimans, the Rockefellers, and J.P. Morgan. Eventually, Samuel P. Bush... Right, that's grandpappy, great, great, great grandpappy, whatever. That's uh, George and Jeb's great grandfather. Was promoted from general manager to president of the company after producing gigantic profits. Samuel P. Bush's association with the Rockefellers and his subsequent position as director of the War Industries Board afforded him the opportunity to create contracts with Remington Arms during the war courtesy of Percy Rockefeller. Nikolai's trust, uh, Nikolai Tesla's trusted assistant, sometimes referred as the accountant or secretary, George Scherf, worked at Union Sulphur Company. Normally, um, this associate would not set off alarms. Considered the state of Tesla's affairs, Scherf had every right to earn a decent living in order to support his family. That was the American way. But a careful examination of Union Sulphur Company might reveal that someone was uh, being deceiving. Tesla and Sheriff was at the root of this deception. So who was George Sheriff? 
Better yet, who was George Scherf Sr.? There exists no legitimate record of a George H. Scherf being born in the U.S. from the late 1800s to 1925. Yet, George Scherf was Tesla's um, assistant accountant. If he was born in Germany, could his birthplace shed some light on the mystery? Well, probably. If, If they exist... It had become apparent that individuals associated with the Nazi party commonly have all or part of their gene- uh, genealogy records expunged. We will explore this further in this section, in this article. <clears throat> Alright, so um, Otto Zorzensi. Zor, I'm sorry. Score Zenny, Otto Score Zenny. So, this name this this was a person. He was a, he was a member of the SS, okay, but he was also a member of the CIA. He was a master spy and assassin. Friends and acquaintance of Nikolai Tesla recall him complaining about Sheriff's son George Jr. always snooping around Tesla's lab on more than one occasion. Probably during the late 1930s, Tesla caught the 14-year-old Scherf looking at his notes, pouring through his books and stealing small items from his lab. Tesla gave him a nickname, Curious George, and like a hint in the mischievous monkey. According to Scorzini, who was Hitler's former bodyguard, in a deathbed confession to Eric um, Berman in, um, in South Miami, Florida, Tesla hated the younger Scherf. In fact, according to Scorzeni, the Curious George book and movie were inspired by Tesla's suggestion. Curiously, the day before the national the- uh, theatrical release of the Hollywood production of the Curious George uh, featured length film, Alan Shalek, the originator of Curious George and the Man in the Yellow Hat, was found murdered under a pile of plastic garbage bags in his driveway in Florida at the age of 76. In short, Otto Scorzeni claimed that the true identity of George H.W. Bush was George H. Scherf Jr., the son of Nikolai Tesla's illegal immigrant German-born accountant, George H. Scherf Jr. The unmistakable, uh, the unmistakable Otto, Zorzen, Otto Scorzeni with, well, this is a picture of him with Hitler. So, worth a thousand words. This was not only bombshell Otto Scorzeni delivered that day in late 1999. Scorzeni producing a uh, shoebox full of 60 years worth of of personal photographs showed showed them to Berman, uh, describing each one in great detail. The collection featured a photo of a young, majestic Scorzeni in full SS military dress next to the Fuhrer himself, Adolf Hitler. Um... Then there were photos of Reinhard Gellin, who was a SS spy and assassin, Dr. Joseph Mengele, and uh, Martin Bormann, who was a Hitler aide and SS assassin, and Hitler himself. <laughs> so now this this is interesting, and this is saying that one of the photos he showed was a photograph of Adolf Hitler photographed in 1997. That would have made him 107. But wait, Hitler's dead, right? <laughs> so the Hitler uh, photo was taken during a quote-unquote reunion 
at Lake McDonald Lodge in Glacier Park, Montana, in August 27 to 97. According to Scorzeni, Alfred Hitler is alive, was alive and well in the U.S. in 1997. Scorzeni did not stop there. He bedosed a photo of a young Scorzeni, Mengele, Borman, and a family of George H. Scherf. Seated in the midst of those, and the photo was a young George Scherf Jr., who Scorzeni explained was trained as a spy and sent to America to work for Adolf Hitler. He was given false identification and adopted by Prescott Bush as his son, George H. W. Bush. Scorzeni went on. He forged a birth certificate in order to enter the military uh, before he turned 18. He was 16 at the time. In a family photo, a young sheriff a, and uh, Borman both sported a German Navy uniform. Scherf later enlisted in U.S. Navy as George H.W. Bush. So real quick. So this is a situation where here's Scorzini basically on a deathbed confession. Had pictures, had proof. Surely was, by most accounts, would have been denounced as a crazy old man. Right? So in greater detail, Otto Scorzini described how, contrary to CIA written history books helped Hitler escape to Austria in a plane flown by a female pilot. Uh, Hitler did not commit suicide. Scorzini recounted, He's, um, his double was shot between the eyes. The dental records proved it was not Hitler. The Americans kept it a secret, worried the truth might anger the Russians. So, um, Eric Berman, in a live radio interview on Republic Broadcasting Network on January 17th of 06 detailed how Scorzini died on November 31st, 1999. His body was cremated. I have a copy of his birth, of his death certificate. I saw his ashes. After the war, he helped George Bush found the CIA through Operation Paperclip and Odessa. Berman recounted how Scorzini found was found not guilty at Nuremberg trials and was ushered into the CIA. Some 50,000-plus SS Nazi war criminals, not just rocket scientists, were brought to America after the war. Skorzeny, about 90 at the time, was described by Berman as very focused and very lucid. And he was, very, was still very mobile. He was still able to walk around and was still very impressive. And um, <clears throat> he had about the biggest hands I'd, he had ever shaken. He was 6'4 and was a giant for his day. He towered over me, and I'm 5'8". Um, when asked about what he thought Scorzini entrusted his information to him, Berman responded, I was dating one of his daughters. He knew that I'm Jewish, first of all. I'm an honest guy, and that I thought... Uh, and he thought that I would really try to do something about him to bring justice. Yeah, these uh, wanted Nazi war criminals. Uh, his whole goal was that he had screwed him that they had screwed him over including George Bush they had screwed him over and um out of large sums of money over the years this was one of his last way of you know getting even with them <clears throat> let's skip that on January 4th 1943 Tesla's faithful assistant George Scherf visited Tesla for the last time Tesla was found deceased in his hotel room the morning of January 8th, 1943. He had passed away between those four days since Sheriff's visit. 
The article continued following Tesla's death in the United States Office of Alien Property under the instruction of the the FBI confiscated all of Tesla's papers and property. This was an interesting maneuver considering Tesla was a U.S. citizen. The significance of this began deception of Tesla's invention in his last days as directed relationship to the previously unknown claims of Otto Skorzeny. As Skorzeny described to Berman in detail his involvement with the George H.W. Bush or George H. Scherf in organizing the CIA by absorbing the Nazi SS agents, he intimidated that um, yeah, he intimidated that Reinhard uh, Gellin and himself who murdered Nikolai Tesla on January 6th by strangulation, strangulation and suffocation. I was trying to put those two words together. Prior to the murder, Skorzeny and Gellin uh, spoke in great detail to Tesla about his most advanced technologies and then stole the blueprints of his best, most secret inventions. Were these two U.S. government agents about whom uh, Dustin Wallace wrote the timing of George Scherf's last visit to Nikolai Tesla was suspicious as well. Skorzeny did not stop with these soul-cleansing disclosures. He went on to describe the aliases of himself, Frank Edward, um, something, it doesn't really give a name here, it just says Frank Edward P. of South Florida, according to Berman, who claims he was trying to protect Skorzenzi's daughters, Reinhard Gellin, um, and Dr. Joseph Mengele's, uh, according to Berman. Gellin was tipped off by the FBI about Skorzenzi's unveiling of his identity and location and Gellin then went into hiding. Mangala, uh, though serious anti-aging hormone injections, a black hairpiece and cannibalism has uh, maintained a youthful appearance. So it gives the, the names. That's what these names are. So um, Reinhard Gellin was Hank Janowicz of Wayne, New Jersey. Dr. Joseph Mangala. Uh, Stephen, his alternate name was Stephen Rabel. So it is interesting. Having investigated some of of Skozeny's claims, Berman had contacted the U.S. Justice Department to inform that Nazi spies were being harbored by certain factions of the U.S. intelligence agency, and particularly the CIA. Uh, These are his words. My thoughts were that I needed to bring these wanted SS Nazi war criminals, Holocaust killers, terrorists, basically to justice. I wanted to call our government and tell them, hey, that they're still alive. I wanted to bring them to justice. That was my whole intention. I initially had contacted and tr- or tried to contact Eli Rosenbaum, um, who was the director of the United States Justice Department Office of Special Investigations. Basically, they thought it was a hoax, and they told me that I was mistaken and that according to the CIA, all of them were dead, and I was mistaken. And uh, they, that's when they told me I was wrong. Well, of course. I mean, let's let's stop here for a second. Of course, you're going to call the government. If the government's involved, if the U.S. Department, uh, Justice Department is involved, according to the CIA, this guy's crazy. According to the CIA, they're all dead. Well, of course, they would say that if they're involved, right? So, um, 
Let me read on here. This is this is all in in their words. Later that night, I was over at uh, Scorzini's house, and his widow received a phone call that turned out it turned her white and almost passed out. Basically, someone called someone from the OSI tipped her off that I had contacted them and that I had known about them. Later that night, when I was coming back home, a car pulled up behind me, flashing its lights, wanting me to pull over. So I pulled over. I knew something was probably going on, so I was ready. And somebody walked right up next to me. It looked like he had a gun in his hand. Possibly. So I sped away. My girlfriend was in the car with me at, uh, at the time all night. And I sped through three lanes and went into a local shopping center. And he pulled right in behind me. He gave me a dirty look. Then he pulled a couple of feet away and drove off. I'm sure they tried to put a hit out on me. So that was Scorzini. In order to authenticate the above revelations, the author began conducting his own research into the alias of Otto Scorzini. The first detail considered a cryptic clue of Scorzini's CIA name was determined a variety of names that began with the letter P, Palmer, Paulson, Pascal. uh, He ended up setting on PAL, the most likely possibility then there was the distinct possibility of Scorzini for all for the purpose of protecting his wife and children, slightly misspelled Berman or I'm sorry, misled Berman about his official alias and reversing his his first and middle names. <clears throat> and an exhausted an exhaustive search revealed an interesting twist. Since Scorzinzi had children, he likely had a wife. In fact he did have a wife, and left a trail through worn out by time that might shed some light on the master plan. Further research about the life of Otto Scorzini, a master spy, revealed his little-known affair with Eva uh, Marie Dut de Peron, wife of Artina's president, Artin, Argentina's <laughs> president, Juan Domingo Peron, gold, uh, which was stolen by the Nazis laundered by Swiss banks in the Vatican, then smuggled to Argentina by Admiral Car or Can Riz, had acquired numerous interests after World War II, and upon her death, Eva Peron bequeathed Scorzeni uh, $100 million, which he ultimately fell into the hands of the CIA. The Nazi CIA connection to the money was obvious. Based on Scorzeni's claims, the money probably fell into the hands of George H.W. Bush, and his handlers. <clears throat> All right, so let me see here. Where are we at? All right, so um, George H. Scherf Jr. visits the FBI upon the untimely death of Nikolai Tesla, perhaps the most renowned scientist in history, J. Uh, Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI, received an unexpected visit from George H. Sheriff Jr. That George H. Sheriff Sr., Tesla's trusted associate, um, chose to send his teenage son to visit the FBI. A notorious director should have raised a red flag, which it probably did among intelligence agencies. Sheriff Jr. explained to Hoover that he had worked for Tesla and that and his entitled to his papers and other effects. He also expressed concern that the foreign government might also be interested in in his inventions. 
Sheriff Jr. also gave Hoover an address of 149 2nd uh, Road in Roche, uh, New Rochelle, New York. Um, the fi- uh, FOIA file on the subject, Nikolai Tesla, Mr. George H. Sheriff Jr., advises that he received two letters. Mr. Schiff stated that he was an associate of Tesla in 1914 and that for many years his father had been Dr. Tesla's private secretary. Mr. Sheriff said that he had never heard of Leland Anderson nor any of the names mentioned in Anderson's letter. Um, Anderson had written to the sheriff's household seeking information about Tesla's writings. He was working on a thesis for school and been seeking information from Tesla's associates and communications. February 3, 1954, Mr. Scherf stated that he had quite a bit of Tesla's writings in his possession and didn't know whether or not they would be of value to the foreign government. There are several glaring discrepancies and inconsistencies in George H. Sheriff's Jr.'s uh, statements to the FBI. Um, the author conducted his own research in the background of George A. Sheriff Sr., and from all indications, and concludes that George H. Sheriff Jr. cannot have worked for Nikolai Tesla in 14, since Jr. wasn't even alive. Um, so he could not have worked for him then or at any other time, based on the numerous accounts about Curious George, Tesla could not even tolerate being around his laboratory. It is highly unlikely that Tesla would have hired or did hire him, other than the book written by John O'Neill, um, the prodigal genius, in 1944. This was also known as known reference to Tesla having a secretary named George Scherf. For the greater part of his career, Tesla's secretary, Dorothy um, F. Skerritt, both Skerritt and Muriel Arbus worked for him at the time of his retirement, which was forced due to dwindling funds. The acknowledgments at the end of the book describe George H. Scherf as a business associate, and there is no mention whatsoever to George H. Scherf Jr. having worked for Tesla. So why did Scherf Jr. lie to the FBI? Because it was dangerous for him to tell Hoover the truth about the real identities of his father and himself. Why would George H. Scherf Sr. send his teenage son to seek papers and other records belonging to Tesla from the FBI? and not do it himself because the director of the FBI Herbert J. Hoover um, would have recognized him as someone other than George H. Surf Sr. In fact um, it is highly plausible that the individual who spoke to the FBI was not Scherf and was a stand-in. There also remains the most likely possibility that Scherf interviewed was uh, nothing more than a ruse. Creating the FBI was purpose of uh, obfuscating the facts around the government's involvement in the murder of Nikolai Tesla, the theft and convert infringement of his patents, and the money laundering that ensued between the Wall Street banks and Adolf Hitler party. Anyone interviewing George Schiff Jr. would have easily recognized that he was not old enough to have worked for Tesla in 1914. Redacted statements in the above-referenced FOIA files um, indicates something was being covered up. The sheriff documents were created and thought to research efforts of Leland Anderson hide the facts behind Tesla's murder and dispel any 
speculation the FBI stole Tesla's records. In 1942, less than a year prior to Tesla's untimely death, it was already known that the principals of the New York Union Banking Corporation had been caught trading with the enemy, Nazi Germany, along with the principals of George H.W. Bush, Prescott, Sheldon Bush's son um, of the industrial industrialist Samuel Prescott Bush, who was president of the Buckeye Steel Casting in Columbus and the director of facilities division of the War Industry Board, the WIB gave Samuel Bush unprecedented ties to the Eastern elite families through its association with the large weapons manufacturers, Remington Arms, Buckeye Steel Casting Supply and Railroad Industry, controlled by the Rockefellers, the Harrimans, and J.P. Morgan, with the coupling parts and the chassis for their tankers and rail cars. Behind the scenes, Archbishop Francis Cardinal Spellman secretly influenced or possibly controlled the, the activities of key intelligence agencies in the U.S., thus affording the Vatican the opportunity to suppress potentially damaging information from reaching the public. Spellman and Hoover served at the same time, served for the same master, th- though it was not the U.S. government. Upon the re- re- uh, re- shit, revelations of the New York Nazi money laundering, and war profiteering records in national archives, and particularly those related to Samuel P. Bush, were, were destroyed in order to save space. Most likely, those records exposed multiple covert relationships and conspiracy monumental proportions. <clears throat> Tess, um, so, in essence, this all started with Samuel P. Bush. Went in and the things he did for not for this country but to this country and um, continued on with Preston and then obviously on with the sons so you know it is strange that Tesla one of the most brilliant inventors ever would die penniless penniless, and his trusted assistant according to Otto Scorzeni and some strangely Corroborating records that George H. Scherf Sr. Tesla died January 6, 1943. So, why? <laughs> why could it be that the probably one of the most brilliant scientists in history died penniless with uh, his inventions befitting, uh, ma- you know, <laughs> maniacal governments? and ruthless organized criminal criminals why are the world's most profitable business oil chemicals war pharmaceuticals illegal drugs human slavery and prostitution why do democratic governments rule their people with oppressive police state tactics why do these democracies and these are in quotations I'm you can't see me I'm throwing up quotation marks <laughs> Poison the food, the water, the air, the land. Why do they tax and regulate their people into slavery? It's simple. To understand when you put these questions into human terms, we know how people occupy niches in our own circles of influence. Um, How we all try to maximize our opportunities within a given set of circumstances. And how can some be depended upon cheat and or steal their way into success within an operating framework. 
look at um look at the Bush and Walker family's lineage. Um you know, keep in mind as you read through the as we talk about these things, the story of why America is ailing and how America became ill and who poisoned her. The relationships are are in, intentionally complex and and difficult to decipher. So we have to attempt to reduce them into workable symbols as a part of equations. When we come out on the other side of this, we should all have no questions um, in our minds to which families have had been the most influential in pre-planted destruction of America and a once free people. So, you know, we talk about the Bushes. You see, um, if you guys recall, there was a speech by uh, by H.W. way back yonder, and he talked about a new world order. <laughs> so, that brings us into the Prescott Sheldon Bush. Okay, so according to the CIA written history books and cleverly crafted political stories, Prescott Bush was born on May 15, 19, oh, I'm sorry, 1895 in Columbus, Ohio. Ironically, genealogy profiles by some independent researchers and relatives cite his birth date as March 12th or 13th. Certainly those tracing the Bush's roots and family history would have gotten it right. It would also seem that the son of such a prominent industrialist with powerful political connectors in Washington, D.C. would have been given a birth certificate, clearing up this discrepancy once and for all. The Bush family history claims that the young Prescott attended the Douglas School, also in Columbus, Ohio. The problem with this claim is that there was no Douglas School in Columbus, Ohio in the 1900s, or in 1900, nor uh, for the most of the 20th century that 20th century so we now have two disputable claims entering the history books that current genealogical records Prescott Bush's date and place of birth schooling in Ohio I gotta get a drink here hold on a lot of talking a lot of talking alright Bush's family biography then describes his enrollment in St. George's School, a co-ed Episcopalian prep school near Newport, Rhode Island, from 1908 to 1913. So how was he able to transfer to a prestigious school for the wealthy after attending a school that never existed leaves much room uh, for speculation. It is unclear how many grade levels the school accommodated only 12 years after its founding in 1896. Through today, it operates as a high school level institution offering courses from 9 to 12. A recent posting on the uh, St. George official website boasted that the grandfather of our 43rd president was an alumnus of the school, as if that were to lend any further credibility to the Bush school myth. Today's school offers a matriculation program that ties to 57 uh, colleges and universities. Who cares? Prescott Bush's numerous biographies mention his graduation from Yale University in 1917, though there was no mention of degree. Before his graduation from Yale, yet another pro uh, 
anomaly appears, his enlistment into the Connecticut National Guard in 1916. The conflicting dates do not end there. While on tour duty in the U.S. Army from 1917 to 1919, Bush credited on uh, August 8, 1918 with deflecting an incoming shell with a a bolo knife and saving the lives of three Allied leaders. As a result for his bravery, he received the Cross of Legion of the Cross of the Legion of Honor from France, the Victorian Cross from England, and the Distinguished Medal of Honor from the U.S. Upon uh, returning to Columbus, Ohio in the mid-1919, Bush found it difficult to explain away the concocted war hero story and moved to St. Louis. Still, uh, another story surfaced regarding uh, Prescott Bush's whereabouts during 1918. Having been initiated into Yale University's uh, Secret Skull and Bone Society, um, Prescott Bush is credited with the grave robbery of a skull of Geronimo from a graveyard near Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Though this story may only be another myth, by now it's become quite difficult to discuss to distinguish Prescott Bush's biological fact from fiction. The overlapping timelines of these stories are enough to raise a few valid questions. Where and to whom was Prescott Sheldon Bush born? Why are there no official records of the monumental event? And where did he attend school? Where did his military records, where were his where, I'm sorry, I can't fucking read. Where are his military records kept? Or have they been uh, conveniently burned to create space for the National Archives, along with his father's wartime business records? Biological accounts about Samuel Bush, um, that's Prescott's father, claim that he was born at Brick Church, New Jersey. The formation is supported by federal census that declarations made by um, Samuel Bush himself. Unfortunately, there are still those who seek the truth. There are two more records that have shown flagrant deception uh, practices by Preston Bush. The 1920 federal uh, decennial census taken in St. Louis, Missouri, documents a Preston Bush, age 24, general manager of a hardware company. Uh, biological accounts describe... Um, the position as warehouse clerk and not as general manager of the hardware store. Preston Bush stated his father's place of birth was New York. In 1930, the U.S. federal decennial census documented the family of Prescott Bush, age 34. Um, when asked uh, where his father was born, he replied, Massachusetts. <laughs> Even the federal government uh, even even the federal government's own Census Bureau failed to recognize this inconsistency. How is it that a 24-year-old male graduate, then again a decade later, a 34-year-old banker in New York City, could be so confused about his father's birthplace? If Samuel Bush was not Preston Bush's real father, that would explain everything. Nevertheless, the two statements appear to be blatant lies, not innocent mistakes. The Bush family biographers do nothing to clarify this uh, decenomy. So, Circuit Chattuqua. From 1874 throughout the, the early 1930s, a travel traveling social program called Circuit Ch- uh, Chattuqua 
crisscrossed America, bringing delight to thousands who witnessed lectures, Broadway plays, overtures, evangelists, singers, musical troops, and other vaudeville-like performers. Uh, according to the University of Iowa exhibit, entered into a national uh, competition sponsored by Ameritech Circuit um, Circuit Chautauqua involved 4,546 performers from around the world. Originally founded to educate, originally founded to educate Bible teachers, the summer program expanded to a massive circus-like event held in the familiar brown tent. It featured the foremost political and religious orators, as well as cultural performance. They lived in musical performance, features, opera, and uh, band music with a bohemian flavor. Feature groups brought from Germany. According to the University of, Te- of Iowa, President Theodore Roosevelt called, called Chautauqua the most American thing in America. <laughs> Woodrow Wilson described it during World War I as an integral part of the national offense, and William Jen- Jennings Bryan deemed it a, polit- a potent human factor in molding the mind of the nation. Um, on special interest was a, ch- a catalog of participants was contained in a large collection of boxes and names in alphabetical order, and two stood out from the others. The first was F.E. Powell, and the second was Ruth M. Powell. If Scorzini and Eric Berman were both being told were being truthful, then this discovery might lead to disclosure of Scorzini's CIA alias, pr- um, proving that not only was he in the U.S. prior to World War II, he intended... He indeed had worked on the U.S. government or for the U.S. government under protection of the OSI, which later became the CIA. The uh, Chattaqua Powell clue led to another Powell clue. Ruth M. Powell was listed on a website as a member of the Associate of Retired Intelligence Officers. Was it possible that she was the same Ruth Powell listed on the Chattaqua participants? Is there any question based upon the comments? by the two presidents and the Secretary of State that Chattaqua was a powerful propaganda and intelligent gathering machine. So you got to think this is prior to TV. I, I, maybe around the time radio was starting. Was it a possible that this was kind of like your TV programming of the day? You had a traveling show that put on different skits and songs and whatever. Was it part of a propaganda machine? If Ruth M. Powell could be proven to have lived in South Florida, uh, then the odds would be astronomical that she could be anyone other than the wife of Scorzini. And if F.E. and Ruth M. Powell were living in the United States prior to World War II, then they were spies for the Nazis and the circuit Chautauqua provided them with perfect cover. As it turns out, a recent phone listing in South Miami was found under the name E. Powell. The stories of both Berman and Scorzini are both supported by this phone and address record. When the Library of Congress recently published a condensed version of the University of Iowa's Circuit Chautauqua exhibit, the names F.E. and Ruth M. Powell were mysteriously missing from the master list, lending further, credi- further credibility to the connection that the two were indeed spies who worked for the U.S. intelligence agencies and their names were intentionally removed 
Um, the names of the participants have been rearranged in two categories. Understandably, there is no category for spies. All right. George Sheriff Sr. Only the most prospective reader will have noticed the intentional variation in the spelling of Sheriff with only one F. Why the variation of spelling? The question will be answered after a closer examination of the real identity of George H. Scherf and his real mission. Considered Adolf Hitler's uh, propensity to employ metaphysical symbols and his obsession with the dark side and the occult is plausible that George Scherf um, surname had everything to do with him being chosen for exactly the covert plot. Um, and that plot was to funnel and launder stolen money through American bank system to the Nazi cause to profit technologically and financially from stolen technology and subvert the government of the United States through bribery, intimidation, murder, and espionage. The following translation of the surname Scherf cast some light on the occult meaning of the name. The following quotes are taken directly from the website, Scherf.com. Not to be confused with don't tread on America.com. Scherf, a German, a German, 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 and Jewish from Middle High Germany. Uh, it's a habitual name from the place in the Rhineland comes Scherf, a form of Scherf Day near Warburg. Um, note the word Astrazonic was delivered from the Hebrew room, blah, blah, blah. Scherflane names as someone from Scherflane. Right, who cares? So how did the Scherf <laughs> master plan, how did the Scherf family become a play part of the sector role? Nikolai Tesla had emerged from Austria to the U.S. in, in order to fulfill his destiny as being pro prolific scientific inventor in history. If the Scherfs, who were trained by in espionage for the purpose of providing Hitler with stolen technologies developed in America, were to be of any worth to Hitler's unquenchable thirst for advanced weapon, weaponry and world domination, they must be able to penetrate Tesla's inner circle of influence. The mission required deception, stealth, secrecy, and financing. Uh, before departing uh, the fatherland, the sheriff's public records and family history were expunged, except for Otto Skorzenzi's personal photo collection and unforeseen flaw in their plan. Until um, until now, not as much known about George Scherf and his uh, obligation was to admit any reference to the middle name, so the H was dropped. Then, in order to confuse the issue to prevent anyone from tracing his roots back to Germany, an F was added to the end of his name. Um, these two steps were made genealogically, research in Germany extensively difficult, if not altogether impossible. If Germany, if German geneal <laughs> genealogical records and databases, the spelling of Scherf is very rare. However, in the United States, the opposite is true. The double F uh, spelling is quite common, so common that there exists only one record of a George Scherf ever arriving in the U.S. since Otto Skorzenzi's familiarity with the Scherz family was a, usually the context of espionage. 
So once George Scherf, once he left Germany on his own, uh, outside of his relationship with Nikolai Tesla, the first record appeared in an annual journal uh, from Wellington, New, New Zealand. Uh, for the year 1913, ending in March of 1914, Scherf signed on with the SS Surrey, a steamship, and transported armed soldiers and cash and probably illegal drugs. This um, this uh, journal contract uh, contained a report about a major insurrection on the ship, and numerous crew members were charged with assault, insubordination, dereliction of duty, and other lesser charges. Able seaman um, George Sheriff with two Fs was charged with in, uh, insubordination, then convicted and sentenced with a 11 shilling fine, a rather hefty sum in 1914, two days in jail, and was not mentioned for which the penalty he ultimately paid. I'm trying to read, up, read ahead here, see what this has to do with uh, the price of tea in China. So, I mean, this just goes on to bring back to his connection to Tesla and uh, uh, James Loeb and, and the Rockefellers and stuff. I'm not going to keep reading. We've already talked about this. All right, so the Walkers. The Walker clan appears out of nowhere, beginning with Thomas Walker, who married Catherine. Uh, there's no maiden get name given. According to the records, there is no date of birth, no birthplace, no parents, no date of marriage noted for either uh, Thomas Walker or Catherine. Their union, however, produced uh, one son of the record, Thomas Walker II, born and christened in, on August 2nd, 1758. Captain Thomas Walker II married Catherine McClanned in February of 1785. Dates and place of birth for uh, Thomas Walker II and Catherine are not available though the christening date for Thomas Walker is uh, recorded as August 2nd of 1958 at uh, 1758 <clears throat> at Holy Trinity Church in Hampshire, England. The union between the two produced one child, Thomas Walker III, born in 1787. It's interesting that uh, Thomas Walker I and II both married a Catherine and neither had dates birth dates or places of birth. Catherine did not have a maiden name. Apparently neither did Catherine nor presumed daughter-in-law Catherine. Her parents were supposedly born in England. Uh, Thomas Walker II reportedly died at sea in 1797, though it is not clear whether he was traveling a ship or merely swimming. There is no mention whatsoever to the second child between uh, Thomas Walker and Catherine until... The, the gentleman died. Uh, conversely, when George E. Walker was born, there was no mention of an older brother, uh, Thomas Walker III. So George Walker was born in either New Jersey or Maryland about 1797 or 1798, according to numerous biographies. George Walker attended Mount St. Mary's College in Ed Edmondsburg, Maryland, from 19, or 1811 to 1812 as an orphan, though it is unclear which legal guardian sent him there. So both Thomas uh, Walker and George Walker 
found their way into Bloomington, Illinois through their relationship, suspiciously omitted from public records in the United States, was also not one that would ever discover a royal secret that Catherine and Catherine were one and the same and were born and, and bore Thomas Walker II with Thomas Walker I and the couple with their own son to produce Thomas Walker III. We can assume that Thomas Walker II was fathered, also fathered George Walker. But that is not certain. So in, in essence, they're insinuating that the Catherine is the same person and had sex with the father and the son to produce the other son. Freaky, right? Catherine died in Philadelphia in 1806. George Walker died in Bloomington, Illinois in 1864. Thomas Walker III died in June of 1870 in uh, Tazewell, Illinois and was buried in Bloomington. Bloomington, Illinois. According to British census, 1881, um, George Walker's son, Davis Walker, was born in Leeds, England in uh, January of 1840. According to 1881 census, um, David Walker's son, George, uh, George H. George Herbert Walker, was six years old at the time and described as a scholar. His birthplace would have been in 75, not 74. George Herbert Walker's family, um, already in business and manufacturing clothes, an industry that would continue on their rivals, arrival to the United States. The future father-in-law of press of the future father-in-law of uh, I don't know George. G H G C G G S H. I don't know. Uh, Preston uh, Bush had established himself as a business world dealing in dry goods. Through his career, began with his father Davis Walker's Eli Walker Company in St. Louis, Missouri. He eventually became partner of the New York banks and played a role in trading and uh, scandals to be closed to UBC. So it's just interesting following the gene- genealogy of these people <laughs> and how they've married amongst one another. Um, census records from 1900, 10, 20, and 1930s reveal a suspicious but reoccurring pattern of those who conducted business with the Nazis. The quote-unquote memory lapses that plagued the patent, uh, paternal side of the Bush clan became contagious and spread through um, the uh, the Herbert the Walkers and the Bushes in laws as well. For example, in 1900, the federal decennial census, uh, George H. Walker declared that his father was born in Missouri and his mother in Missouri. However, the 1910 federal census, his father was born in Maryland and his mother was born in Missouri. So, um, the wily George H. Walker declared. In the uh, 1920 federal census, that his father was born in Maryland, his mother was now born, now too also born in Maryland. <laughs> as, a, as if to dispel his own confusion, George Walker became uh, full circle, full circle in 1930 during the U.S. federal census and began claiming that his both parents were born in Missouri. Whether George Walker's parents were born in Missouri, Maryland is not really the issue. The real issue is that his father. Uh, David Walker, according to biography, was born in 
reared on his parents' farm in Bloomington, Illinois. Surely, uh, Davis Walker must have mentioned his upbringing to his son, George Herbert. Uh, That is, if George George Herbert, Herbert was really his son. It took George H.W., George H. Walker, I should say, this isn't Bush, 20 years to realize his mother, Martha, was born in Maryland. That is, if she was really his mother. The facts behind George H. Walker's census declaration speak for themselves, though the story does not end there. Such sloppy genealogical record-keeping is hardly befitting anyone claiming to be the bloodline of the British crown. The biographies of George H. Walker agree that he was born on June 11, 1875. Why would he claim, in the Census Bureau, to be born in 74? Not once, not twice, but three times. Um, Surely he must have known the correct date of his own birth. Um, The confusion one experiences among exhuming records should be revealed that the roots of the Walker-Bush families is puzzling. It is highly unlikely that any one family, let alone two, especially of such quote-unquote royal bloodlines, could experience such so many coincidences and occurrences to unearth birth dates, premature deaths, uh, deaths, burials at sea, and offspring produced by those outside the bloodline. If one of the deciphers of the master plan is to think that those crafted the plan, the blatant lies with respect to the cast of characters fomenting and executing the plan uh, replete um, with distortions and concealments of facts have been the modes uh, modus operandus over several operate uh, several generations and um, so we can also see from the elements of truth our spunnances web of blatant lies distortions and concealments of facts as if daring us to accept the entire package as an honest representation of records. All right, guys, that's uh, part number two in the books. Look at there. Time flies when you're getting reading the history of the fuckery of this country and this family, which leads me to the part where I'm about to tell you this is going to have to go into part three. So we're going to end it here. It is Friday, October 14th, 2022. Guys, please, um, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show and please share this with your friends. We're going to continue on with this into a part three. This will be on Sunday. So um, just stay tuned for more. And then we'll probably lead this into a new series and we'll go into the Skull and Bones and the secret societies of these these people and, and what cr- brings them to creation and taught how to believe in these, these powers and the stuff that they're doing to us and continue on, even though a lot of these names are dead that we're talking about the the history lives on. So with that being said, guys, I hope you are enjoying this. Continue to share this and keep spreading the words. Uh, follow us on social media. Don't tread on America. And uh, like I said, it, go to our social media, follow us there. So you can learn about the watch giveaway from uh, Christian Lawson watches and uh, stay tuned for more of, uh, of the series of the Bush Crime Family. Brought to you in part by Christian Lawson Watches, Maker's Mark Bourbon, and Redcon1.com. All right, guys, you have a great day, and I'll talk to you again on Sunday.